Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Follow our socials and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. See you all there. And now, here's this week's episode. Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors, and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital streaming sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, check out their website or DM them on Instagram or call 844-4-ALL-MUSIC. That's right. It's 844 844- for all music to get started with sound royalties. Call them today. BMI is the champion of the creator, supporting songwriters and making sure you get paid for your creative work. More than that, BMI has an incredible team that helps guide and develop songwriters, shows you how to navigate the industry plus provides invaluable opportunities on stages and at festivals. Bottom line, they help you with your career at all levels, from those just starting out to the biggest hit makers. Just like they helped me out when I was just starting out and how they still help me out today. You can learn more at BMI.com. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends and repeat guest on And The Writer is Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys. He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans. That's the kind of person Evan is in real life, and that's the kind of person that runs Seeker. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work. Because of him, we have Songwriter of the Year. Because of him, we have Songwriters added to the Album of the Year for the Grammys. And now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check them out now. (laughs) 
Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's versatile artist and songwriter has crafted smashes in all of the genres, from topping pop charts to crowning country radio to notable Latin and R&B cuts. This guy has written with the titans of the industry. His gospel, jazz, and soul background give him the unique skill set to stand out in every genre, which circuitously explains his next chapter as a country music star. His gift for storytelling is one thing, but his voice and melody is legendary. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for over a decade. In fact, my first date with my wife was a Sugarland concert where we hung out with this guest backstage. So, I know he's good luck, and the writer is Shy Carter. <laughs> That's right, man. Right on, my dog. How you doing, man? So, uh, before we go into it, um, this is so weird. Um, in 2012, like we're all in the APG land, right? It's like yeah. a lot of like, like right around Charlie Puth era, era whatever. And I remember, um, I guess it was probably before that even, but I remember this melody going around, um, that Mike sent me and it goes like, and you sang this melody, and it was the first one of those times where it was like, hey, um, we're looking for lyrics on this melody, and you were just freestyling and something. You don't even remember this melody. There's no fucking way you remember this melody. But... It became something that I played so much in my house that my wife then put it on a playlist, and we still listen to you mumbling this melody <laughs> 10 years later. And still, no one, I guarantee no one ever wrote lyrics to it. Guaranteed it never came out. But this one melody, and I probably could find the demo of you singing, is like, uh, you know. Everyone has their sma their there are hit songs in the universe that people share their experiences with, right? Like that's what the soundtrack of you know music is the soundtrack of life or whatever the expression is. But that is part of our life and <laughs> no one else no one else has it. So I just wanna say like of all the songs you've written, that one uh, I mean, obviously the Sugarland one ended up impacting us too, but like that one has like an impact on my personal life. That's crazy, bro. That's amazing. A song that's not even it's not even written. It's just, it's not- it's just a melody, and that's why I wrote in the thing. Like you know, you know, obviously you you do a lot of things as a writer, but I just remember hearing some of these demos of you singing, and just being like, "Fuck, if I could sing like that." You know, it's <laughs> so natural. But anyway, yeah. let's, I mean, look, uh, so first of all, it's good to see you too. I've known you now for a while. You've gone through a million things in your life and so much to tell. So let's go to the beginning. Um, you're, you know, you start off in in a musical city. So tell me about your childhood. Yeah. Can I say something about that melody real quick? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just went in there and made that, and I planned on finishing that, and then Mike just started sending it to everybody. <laughs> That's right. Really, do you remember it? Do you know I what remember, I'm talking about? I remember about? the song because I was just kind of 
getting used to being over there with those guys. And I was yeah. upset because I was like, why you just send my stuff out to everybody? And like, you didn't even ask me. I was just, I was going, I was going to finish it, man. Why are you doing this? So I was kind of, I'm kind of upset with them because I used to go, I used to go, go head to head with them dudes over there, man. But yeah. I, I, you know, I, I got cool with them after a while. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, that, that world was um, something that I wish people could replicate now. And I know there are a few places that do that, but what that world was like at the time was you'd have, you know, four studios all running all the time. Like there'd be a session from 12 to 7 and 7 to 4 or something mm. like that. And you'd yeah. always have a room. And so you, you would, they packed it and they always packed it to credit to to APG and Mike. Like they always packed it with writers who were on the cusp, not necessarily yeah. all the, the smash writers at the time, but uh-huh. also would sprinkle those people in. And I think that's how a lot of us met each other, you know, was yeah. by going to, like you'd be in the studio and you'd get coffee and you'd be like, hey, I'm Ross. And you'd be like, hey, I'm shy. Like, that's what it was. And, and so you'd meet all these people and you'd find yourself in sessions that you wouldn't otherwise be in. Or, you know, yeah, like, for sure. For sure, man. Yeah. You ended it, up into some, you know, some really cool situations because of it. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, uh, I like them dudes, man. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely, um, a Frankenstein approach to songwriting a little bit sometimes where it's just like, this is a seed of an idea. Let's get everyone to put their two cents in and see if there's a song out of it. Yeah. It it was, it was strange to me at first, at first, man, but it still is a little, a little bit, man. Cause I'm just more, I'm just so natural and organic with my, with my whole everything, you know, but it, that's why I like, you know, that's why I'm down here and stuff, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off with your whole look. No, I mean, like, I think it's all about our history as humans in this business. You know, yeah. like, we all are trying to find out what's the best way that we can be creative and and make, like, our most honest music. And, you know, that's... So, like, all this stuff is important to go through to know who we are, you know? But, Amen, and, big bro. And, like, you know... This going back to what where I was heading, like you you grew up in a town that didn't do that. It wasn't a pop town, you know. So no. tell me tell me a little bit about like your childhood. Yeah, man i uh, I grew up I grew up listening to like uh, well, first of all, I lived all over the place. Like I was born in Wisconsin, then I moved to Wyoming, then Arkansas, then Atlanta, then Memphis, then Michigan. You know why? Uh, we were on the run, man. You know we was doing some wild. I, I was a bad little kid everywhere I went, man. I was just robbing stores and. You know. <laughs> what were you? What were you really nah, doing? No, nah, my dad. He was working for the IRS. And <laughs> So it was the exact opposite. It was literally like suit and tie showing up, showing up like crunching numbers to the point where it's like, you got to get out of here. Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, you know, he got started off like he was in the Marines. He went to the war. He got back and got like an entry level position. And uh, and then every time he got a new opportunity, he would just, you know, the job would be in a different area. So he would we would move. Did do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got four brothers. Oh wow! So you guys like 
all five kids would go city to city to city. Uh, three of us, three of us would. The other two were a little older, and they had uh-huh. different moms. Got it. They Did, were living places. I when I think of uh, creative households, I would put uh, former military turned IRS dad into the least likely like parent for somebody who would be addicted to music. So, <laughs> like. Uh, uh, how how was music introduced in the household? Yeah, well, I mean, crazy thing was he always was playing the guitar and singing. So, you know, before he ever even went out there, that's what he was doing. And, Is that know, what he, he wanted to do? Like, was that a dream of his? Uh, I think so, a little. I think so, you know, but I think back then it wasn't like like a big reality or something, you know. To, it was like he, that's good. He would he would be in the clubs. His 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 dad would go find him in the clubs. He was too young, you know. But you know he had to make he had to do something. He went to the to the to the to the war, the Vietnam War. He was like seventeen. Wow. Yeah. So you know he just did what he had to do to take care of himself and a, and a family. So I just I just greatly appreciate it. But every every time we went to any any of our like grandma's house in Milwaukee or. Or church or anywhere they like they like you got your guitar Luke bring your guitar you know he'll sing songs like Sarah smiles man or like easy like Sunday morning like these great great songs dog and he loved Curtis Mayfield so I like I always was around it because of that. How is his voice? It's beautiful. What is he? It's a lot different than mine. How is it different? Because he sound like Al Jarreau or something when he sing. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of awesome, though. That's like that's like the knowledge. That's the kind of voice that you hear, and you're like, "Oh, that guy's wisdom." Yeah, you know, like yeah, if somebody man. hears me sing, they're not thinking, "Wow, that guy's wise." You know, but you hear that. <laughs> that's a that's a cool vibe. Wait, so did you grow up listening to that? That was the kind of music you grew up listening to. Is sort of the music that your dad would also play on guitar. Did you then naturally start? doing that kind of music when you were little or were you listening to music that was sort of popular for our age group? Man, I, I definitely had my own music. Um, but see, so at, at first we weren't really allowed to listen to too much. We didn't have like uh BT, MTV. We didn't even have cable, but we, but, but, and they would just give us like Christian music. So I, I remember I really loved DC talk. You know what that is? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I used to love them like when they was when they were rapping. Later they start doing like alternative music, but they were like rapping and 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 it was just like hip hop, it was like just Christian hip hop stuff. So I would have like some other little groups like that and I would just learn the songs. Um I still remember this one like little rap. Uh I guess I don't, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was like but I put my my initials Blake. Blake was my friend, B-A-C, and I'm a son of a preacher, eight years old, but I can still teach you, reach you, because Jesus Christ is a feature, so listen to the words that I say, I beseech you, because out of them, I, you know, stuff like that, and then I, I <laughs> they got like little videos of me doing that, so that's that's what I first started liking, and it was like, you know, it was rap music, but it was it was real safe, clean rap music, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then I... uh like when we when we moved to Memphis, I was like about ten or eleven, and then I started hearing like everybody was listening to like Eight Ball and MJG and like the first 
the first underground stuff with three six mafia, you know, before they just tore the whole game up. Like that that was Memphis was if that was our music, you know, before it was the world's music. And and that whole sound, that whole sound that three six mafia was doing, like I feel like that infiltrated like the whole pop music and everything. It's just crazy how far that that kind of sound went. Um but I listened to that, but I also was really infatuated with like Boys to Men and All for One. I loved like them love songs, them R and B songs. Boys to Men was huge. Jagged Edge, Usher. Like that was the type of stuff I listened to, man. I was crazy about it. When did you start trying to write your own songs? Uh I remember I wrote a song. I, I, my uncle gave me a keyboard when I was like eleven. And um gave it to me for Christmas and it had like these little program beat these little uh, stock beats on there so I would just write raps over the over the little beats uh, and it would be so corny man you know but. yeah they'd have like all it would be like four versions of New Jack Swing it'd all be yeah. like <laughs> they'd all be like Dallas Austin rip off kind of like fake <laughs> <laughs> beats those are so good <laughs> oh man the beats were, the beats were terrible bro you just push like a button in it and just play it in that key or something you know, <laughs> that's when I first first started writing them, and then and then I I started toying around with it because I had like a little R and B group, and we were seeing like Casey and JoJo, all my life or something. My dad could, would play the guitar for us sometimes at the talent show, or we would just sing an acapella. Uh, was that that's in, when I started. Was that in high school or something, or is that before that? Um, yeah, yeah, that was like ninth grade. Uh-huh. Yeah. So where where when you said talent shows and stuff, is that literally like within school or are you guys traveling around and because and, I mean I know your voice. My guess is that it even in ninth grade, people are like, Holy shit, this guy's incredible. And you know <clears throat> Nah, uh, nah. I'll, go ahead. Not, not really. That's the beautiful thing about my story. What I like to tell people, man, was like I was like the least, I was the least out of the group. You know, like the dudes that I was singing with could really sing. And my voice was just I had I had to I had to, you know, work this muscle out, you know. So I I, I did have I have some, you know, it's in my it's in my blood. Um, the music is, but I didn't know how to play. I you know I first started playing saxophone was the first instrument I played. And my dad would take me to Beale Street. I got to play down there a couple of times. Like I would play little stuff in church. But like so I could I could get down a little bit, but I saw so many people that have real crazy talent, like natural talent, hitting the runs. And so in my group, uh, I couldn't even, I couldn't sing a harmony note and I couldn't even stay on my note in the middle, like the lead note without jumping on one of their harmony notes that they were singing. So they'd be like, man, just hold your ear. So I'll like plug my ear up and get this so I can sing and stay on my note. So I just loved it, man. I just got better and better. But we we did good at the talent show at, at the school, and we ended up being able to go to the Mid South Fair and sing. So we got to go sing at, at a couple places like that. At that point, I mean, if you're already playing music like that, and you know your dad is a, literally accompanying you, which is, by the way, amazing to have that kind of relationship. You know, um, are you then? Was there ever a doubt that you were gonna do music? Like, was were you thinking, oh, you know, it this is a fun hobby, this is like a sport, this is like an activity, but I, I'm gonna go to, you know, I'm gonna go be work for the IRS and 
you know. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely didn't want to go work for for anything like that. I uh, I played a lot of sports, and I loved sports, uh, and I loved music. I would just be in my room and just pretend like I was on stage and stuff, um, singing them boys to men songs, just playing it. So I really did love it, and and, um, and I was like, man, I'm I either want to be able to play sports or I want to do music. And I just kind of realized I was like, I'm not, I'm, I think I have a better chance to do music. And I, and I, and, um, and I also figured really, really young, I kind of figured like, you know, there's only a certain amount of spots on these teams, you know, on if you want to play major yeah. league sports and you got to be so incredible. And I was like, music, man, is like, nobody can say, you can't just go off stats and say this person's incredible. Like somebody can, you could think somebody's terrible and they can, <laughs> they can make a living off of music, you know? So I figured if I just really worked hard at it and poured everything into it, you know, that, that I could, I would have a better chance at that. What's the process from that group that you were in from there until, you know, the, um, like at that point, you like you said, you're in like ninth grade or something like that. Yeah. But you know, your career starts like professionally, like seven years later. So, like, what happens between freshman year of high school, where you're playing, you know, a state fair here or there, to like, I'm I'm a professional human in the music business. Yeah, I think them, them guys in the group they didn't they weren't really that serious about it. It was fun. It was fun for them. Like and they, and they were great, man. It was just harmonies and everything it was great. But I I just really you know stayed on it and uh, <laughs> I got a job at at Sears. I was like sixteen. I was a junior. I think I was a junior then. I got a job at Sears and this guy was selling beats. His name's Chris. He lives here in Nashville now. This you know this was over there in Memphis and. Uh, he, he he gave me his car. I think he was he was working there too. He was selling beats. So I, I went over to his house, and 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 that's why I wrote my first song and recorded my first song because he had a Triton and he was making his tracks. And uh, I don't even yeah yeah he was. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just making the tracks and uh, with no computer and nothing. We recorded it like on a I think I had a tape, man. It's like a, you gave it to me on a tape. And uh, dang, man, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, damn, that's my voice on there. Like, I just I just loved it so much, man. So I just sat there and wrote the song and, and, and recorded it. And I was like, I, man, I got to figure out how to do this, you know. And then right after I did that, like, we had to move again. And we moved to Michigan. We moved to this little bitty town, bro. Uh so that's where all this country, <laughs> this country lifestyle stuff kind of pops in. It's like we moved to this little country town called Cedar Springs. Like it was north of Grand Rapids in Michigan. And it was cold. And it was like, um, 
it was kind of miserable for me because I'm just it was just like just getting ready to be a senior in, in, in high school. And it's like Memphis was so many. Uh, it was a lot more uh, culture. It was a lot more black culture there. I moved to this place. It was completely white. And, and then they, they would be talking crazy to us, like me and my little brother. We had we, it just couldn't believe the mindset of these people, man. And so I didn't, didn't want to I just didn't want to hang out or nothing, man. I was getting in fights with them and stuff. So my mom helped me get a keyboard, like a, a, a better keyboard that I could um, start making tracks. So I just made tracks and made tracks. I didn't even know about quantize or, or nothing. Like I showed something to my friend. Chris, he was like, you don't know about Quanta? I was like, what's that? <laughs> like, yeah, man. So this way, you know, your beats, your beats could be, you know, better. <laughs> and I, I just made a bunch and then I found a studio there. I, I ended up hooking up with a record label there, like, like my senior year of college, uh, high school. There was a record label, independent, all these rappers, all these rappers, man. He had like 15 rappers in, in that Grand Rapids area. And they would go out to this studio and I got so cool with the guy Andy at the studio. He started teaching me how to run it. Like he would just he would just go leave for a minute and just be like, just push record for for the other rappers, you know. And so I just push record whatever. Then I start learning the Pro Tools, and uh, to the point where then then I started getting me an MPC and a, a Yamaha Motif, and I'm starting making my own tracks and I'm making tracks for the rapper dudes and. Uh, and then, and then eventually I learned how to work the studio. So he would just let me go in there all night. You know, I would go, go, go in there whenever he's done and the sun would be coming up and he let, you know, he, it was $40 an hour or something for the studio, but I would just run some sessions for him. And then he just let me get it all night. And I, I leave and the sun would be up, but I have me a whole song I worked on and got a little mix and Pro Tools HD systems, no latency, got the, get, got the, all the plugins and stuff. It was nice, man. Hey guys, there's a cool company called Sound Royalties that was founded about 10 years ago. They provide funding for music creatives without ever taking ownership of their copyrights. All they need to do is see that you have a royalty stream. They don't need personal guarantees, collateral, financial statements, or credit checks. They work alongside publishers and labels, distributors, and PROs. They don't replace them. Again, all they need to know is that you have a royalty stream of at least $5,000 in a year, whether it's from mechanical performance, digital streaming sync, whatever it is. If you're interested in finding out more about Sound Royalties, check out their website or DM them on Instagram or call 844-4-ALL-MUSIC. That's right. It's 844 844- for all music to get started with sound royalties. Call them today. Hey guys, I'm excited to say a few words about one of today's sponsors, Seeker Music. Seeker was founded and is run by one of my very dear friends and repeat guest on And The Writer is Evan Bogart. Evan is an advocate for songwriters. He is in charge of the songwriter wing of the Grammys He's a trustee for the Grammys. He's just a good person. And so that kind of community and culture is what Seeker is based on. They acquire only the best catalogs and sign only the best humans. That's the kind of person Evan is in real life, and that's the kind of person that runs Seeker. So I recommend you go follow Seeker on all their social media sites, but go follow Evan too and let them know how much you appreciate Evan's work because of him. We have Songwriter of the Year. Because of him, 
We have songwriters added to the album of the year for the Grammys. And now he's got his publishing company that is a wonderful sponsor for our podcast. So thank you again, Seeker, and go check them out now. BMI is the champion of the creator, supporting songwriters and making sure you get paid for your creative work. More than that, BMI has an incredible team that helps guide and develop songwriters, shows you how to navigate the industry, plus provides invaluable opportunities on stages and at festivals. Bottom line, they help you with your career at all levels, from those just starting out to the biggest hit makers. Just like they helped me out when I was just starting out and how they still help me out today. You can learn more at BMI.com. Yeah, man. And how did you then get, like, when you finished those records, how were you showing people? Or is it like, because this is like a CD era, so you're burning a CD or something like that. Yeah. And then are you just like, Handing them out to people? Were you playing shows? Like, what's the, even if you're making music in that room, that's amazing. But what was the point? Right, for sure. Man, I went out and did some shows with that, with that, uh, with that click, you know, that label. And, and I just realized like the shows ain't fun, man, when you just got a track and the sound is bad. And it's like, it, I feel like I was like, this made me look worse to do a show than if I don't do the show, <laughs> you know? So, I, I, I focus way more on just creating and trying to get it to somebody, you know, like some kind of record label person or something. And, uh, you know, I remember I went to go meet with Alicia Keys managers. I got I got this weird dude that hooked me up with them. And I, I dealt with a lot of shady characters, man. So this dude was crazy, went up there. But another guy uh, said he knew somebody at the radio. In my city, it was a clear channel, top 40 radio station, which they don't play no local music, you know, but they just started cramming this song that I made. Like, um, and when I came back from New York, meeting with them, like it was all over the radio on that station. And um, this was like beginning of my space and stuff, kind of like, but I didn't know how to, I didn't, I, I wasn't up on that stuff, man. Like, I thought it was weird. I'm like, man, y'all talking to people on the internet. Y'all got friends on the internet, man. <laughs> I'm like, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> that's when, like, that's the same thing right now when people are like, everybody who's listening to this who's younger is like, you know, they talk to labels and they're like, oh, you know, build your following up on TikTok. And it's like, man, that's the same thing as when we were going through MySpace and everyone's like, oh, just start friending people. Spend all night. <laughs> Literally, that's that was the activity was you should friend, the, the friend was a verb. You should go friend people on MySpace. It was, and it was just like, this is, this is the, like the, a, a musician's worst nightmare is clicking on like, Will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? Yeah, I'm like, for real. Right? Like that's Crazy. what labels labels wanted. But and then meanwhile, you have songs at radio where you know, I'm sure that that like playing a show, no matter how shitty the sound is, if the song's getting played on radio, people are starting to sing along. They don't even care about how good it is. Like you start realizing, oh yeah, this is like this is reaching people. So when did yeah. you realize people were listening to it? Man, uh, I would like be going in the mall and I'd be like, man, you heard that song go like this. I would like say the title, they might not know it. Then I start singing it and they'd be like, that's you? I'm like, yeah. They'd be like, I thought that was like a five person group or something because I had my vocals coming all in yeah. and doing all this and nobody what knew song, it was me. What song was that? 
what it's is called, that? It was called I Got Soul. It never, it never, uh, damn. How does it go? It, it, it never was really out like that, but, um. Can you still sing it? it yeah, but I sampled James Brown. That was part of the issue cause that I never really, because I, I sent, it was got like, it. your beauty is an evolution. You really got a hold of me. If they ask you how you break it down like that, say, I got soul and I'm super bad. Yeah. Man, who is that? Over here, she from Perry, France. And then tell us how to self, how to belly dance. And and I was just snapping on him. Uh, you know, it was the beating. 808 was beating. It was mixed. I just, it was mixed cool. It was my little rough mix. And they was just cramming it on the radio. Uh, For yeah. sure, there's somebody listening to this is like, oh my God, I remember that record. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> yeah, those people in the people in Grand Rapids, man, they knew they knew that mug for real. And and uh I remember I'm in love with a stripper was out. And that was the number one song on the radio. Mine was number two. God, so crazy. On the on the pop station. So at that point, are you like you're not necessarily in Grand Rapids in that path? I mean, I know you're meeting with some managers, but um I guess like there's a difference between the music, making music and having it out and also like getting involved in the business. And like you were saying, there were a bunch of shady characters along the way. Well, how do you like start navigating? You know, if I found some artist in a town who has the second, you know, a number two record on, on a, on a top 40 radio station, like every label I know is hunting, you know, that record deal. Like how did your life change with that? (laughs) Yeah, man, it didn't really change. It didn't really change. It didn't really change that much, man. Uh, like I had a couple, I had a couple people that I got kind of got in touch with. Um, I still was involved with somebody that was that was whack, man. And I and what I did was just I just put my own album out, and and um, I just sold I just sold some in the city, um. And I did good with that. And then, and then the couple, the couple like people that reached out to me, uh, some of it was kind of blocked on some, sh- on the shady stuff, but the others was like, I was sending music and I, I think they didn't like, that was kind of like a record. I, that was a song I made <clears throat> kind of like for this investor guy. Somebody was just talking about it and was like, it, it, it it was a little bit outside of what I did. The rest of it was more like just R&B. And I was talking about God a lot in my music. And I was rapping. And at that point, you ain't going to believe it, man. I was rapping so much and singing so much that labels would tell me, you can't rap and sing. They'll be like, we don't know how to market that. You got to choose one. It was like nobody was doing that. You know, but Lauren Hill had done it. And Missy Elliott had, had done, you know, I, I I knew people had, but it was none of this Drake and all this type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So I, I, you know, the labels, I, I always felt that, that energy from them. You know, that's that same old energy of just th- them trying to put something in a box and make it like commercial, what they seen before or something. Uh, so what happened was, uh, and, and, and at this point, I don't, I don't went through school, through college. I don't went through like, like four years of college now. Like, like, so I don't, I don't been in the studio the whole time using all my college loan money and go to the studio, studio. <laughs> so I'm just getting better and better. And uh, eventually I went out to L.A. to meet with some cats and uh, <clears throat> they were trying to sign me, but they introduced me to this guy, Courtney B. And he he was managing Nelly. I'm getting pages out of New Jersey from Courtney B. Talking about a party up in NYC. Remember that? That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. 
So I'm like, damn, you Courtney B from the song. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, he called Nelly right there, got his voicemail. He had this cool little beatboxing on his voicemail or something, you know. And I, I love Nelly. Like I that was I was a big uh Nelly fan too. And so he I another I, I couldn't even work with him because I didn't want to work with the guys that brought me to him. So out of respect, I didn't, you know, I was just like, man, I'm working with them. So it's nice to meet you. You know, went back home. And like a year later, the same guy that introduced me to him called me. He said, Hey, can you get a hold of Courtney B? I was like, that's your friend. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I said, all right. And I just Googled him and I found a number in Century City. I called it, left a message. He called me back. I said, hey, man, you know, dude is trying to get in touch with you. But since since we on the phone, what's up? You know, he's like, man, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a year, man. Like, I love your music. I want to work with you, but nobody would give me the contact. Da, da, da. He was like, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Man, he set me up a meeting with Clive Davis, bro. I was over there. I was over there with the shiny suit. Shiny suit, man, dog, sitting in front of him like about two weeks later, bro. <laughs> what was that like? Man, that was crazy. So I played him that song that I had on the radio, and I played him a couple other songs. And um, I remember he had Larry Jackson next to him, man. This was his, this was his black dude, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tell me if this black music is cool, you know? Yeah, that, guy's, uh, that guy's amazing, yeah. Yeah, but you know, he just sitting there, he ain't making no, he ain't making no face or nothing, just just, you know, doing how they do, man. And uh, so the music plays, you know, Larry don't say nothing. And uh, when the when the music was done, Clive said, I remember what he said, man. He said, We rate songs from a one to a, a eight. <clears throat> he said one through eight, with eight being a hit. He said a nine is a top five and a 10 is a number one song. So an eight is a hit. He said, you got some strong seven, 7.5s. He said, come back when you got some eights and some nines. Damn. <laughs> it's those weird things where you're like, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I remember going to, this is your story, not mine, but uh, I just had like this string of songs that were, were, hits and I just remember this publisher coming up to me who gave me the same kind of advice. And I and in my head I look at that person I'm like I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And that person came up to me at this event and he was like, "I hope I didn't offend you back in the day." And I was like I, I didn't know how to respond to it because like it's this weird thing like when someone says that to you you're like pretty offended and then you listen back and you're like yeah, maybe those are seven and a halfs. Like, was he ri- was he right? Were those seven and a halfs? Or like, listening back now, do you are you like, was that good advice, or was that somebody where you feel like you need to, you know, you've always wanted to prove Clive Davis wrong? Uh, man, the, I, the songs have definitely gotten a lot better since then. You know, like I learned a lot about what makes a song like a global thing or like more for everybody, you know? So, but I also kind of lost, I also kind of feel like I lost a little bit of my originality by doing that, you know? So it's kind of like a give and take, but, but uh, nah, it was cool. It was cool. It, I, I felt so encouraged by it. I was like, damn, well, if he thinks I'm that close to having a hit and it's Clive Davis, 
man, that ain't no problem. I just keep on working at this. I'm definitely going to have, if, if Clyde Davis just told me I'm, I'm 7.5 and eight is a hit, I'm coming with some eights and nines and tens very soon, buddy. <laughs> yeah, for real. So what you end up doing a publishing deal though, pretty quick after that. So it seems like your relationship with Courtney B does like opens doors. Sure, man. So he took me there. I remember he took me to Jive. Peter Thiel was over there. Barry Weiss was over there. Uh, he took me to Universal. Um, and they were like, Jive was super close on signing me. Like, they really wanted to sign me. Um, they were like, what you like to listen to? I was like, I like Indy IRE. They're like, oh, that artsy-fartsy stuff. I'm like, damn, what's up with these record label people, man? They so yeah. weird. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like... Like that's Grammy winning in the RE. Like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, man, these people are they're like, how you see your video? Do you dance? No, I don't dance. I do like this. They like, you know, like it was just uh, you know, it, it was close. It was close, but I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't sign me. Because after after that, he was like, All right, I'm gonna take you to Nelly. So he'd start playing my music for Nelly. Nelly loved it. He said he wanted to sign me. So I signed with him as a producer. Cause Nelly said, Hey, I already got artists. I'm an artist. I got other artists that I'm trying to get off. And, you know, I don't want to just sign you and not be able to do nothing with you. So you make great tracks. You make great hooks. Do the hooks. Uh, you know, and make the tracks. So that's what I did. And I started making songs with him. Ashanti, you know, he was doing a lot of stuff for her at the time. Like Chingy, all them dudes, man, from Murphy Lee, St. Lunatics. Like, you know, other rappers like the Young Blood, Sean Paul, uh, Bunch of rappers, man. And, uh, you know, a few R&B singers and stuff will come through and want some tracks. Um, but then the songs, you know, songs will just kind of come out, like kind of get leaked on YouTube or whatever. Like I wasn't really making making some some real money. So Courtney was like, you know, you could really write songs. Let's take you over here uh, to meet this guy, Matt Soletic. I know him. He was running Virgin, but he got his own company. Um, he produced all his Matchbox 20 and all kind of other amazing, huge records. So took me over there and I did like an audition for him. Uh, I had him like rent me an MPC. I came out there for one day and it flew me back the same day. And I think I met with him first and then, and then the next day they flew me out there. Next time he said he had this little piano riff. He played it. He left. I made a little beat on the, on the MPC. I put some melodies down and kind of like that first day you talked about, it wasn't finished, you know, just put the melodies in the, in the, in the groove down. And he came in, he was like, man, this is so much different. Like than what I would have done. I like this. And, and he was like, cool. So that was kind of like my audition with them and they signed me. And um, it was, a, it was a rough deal, bro. I got out that deal. Like, like just now <laughs> I got yeah. that. I got out that deal like 14 years later, bro. And, uh-huh. but you know, it was worth it. Cause uh, like, Maybe like five, six months later, I was here in Nashville. And I I was at Daniel Tashian's house, man. We was over there messing huh. around. And they called me. He was like, man, that song you made is about to be Rob Thomas' next single. And they said, it's going to go number one. Before before it even came out, they're like, it's going to go number one. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Man, you know how hard I've been trying to, you know, go everywhere and try everything to try to figure out how I could, how I could do this. And sure enough, that sucker came out. It was number one on how they see. And then I was like, I'm in the game. <laughs> I mean, it's so weird because 
again, like you have such a unique trajectory working on so many different kinds of music that there's no way that you can tell younger you that your first hit is going to be with Rob Thomas and you'd believe it. Nah. And then the next like four hits, you're like, you'll for sure not believe it. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't believe Rob Thomas, then you'll never believe what happens next. You know? Like, this is so weird because you're talking about you go, you move to, you know, this nowhere town in, in north of Grand Rapids and people are, you know, really, it's like a really white town and, you know, you're signed to a label with 15 rappers and then you end up with Rob Thomas, you go to Nashville and like you are able to use all these influences and it's just somehow really clicks like yeah. were you you know i always say that you know my 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 forte is that i just walk through doors like yeah. if they're if they're open i walk through them and see what's on the other side yeah amen and and, and 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 you did that like somebody says hey why don't you go right with you know, go right over here and do that and yeah I mean, why not? Let's go. Let's see what happens. And but you were never like, nah, I don't do that. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't do that. That's not my kind of music, or that's not my kind of artist. You just keep going in with an open mind. What was it like to transition from like you have this Rob Thomas hit? The next hit, I know, like you know, you meet Kevin Griffin, who you do, um, you know. Stuck like glue with, and I believe Casey Robinson. Shout out Casey. Um, introduce you guys, but um, you know the. How does it happen? How does this guy who's working with Nelly and Ashanti and all these other people? How does that person end up in Nashville after a Rob Thomas hit working on Sugarland? <clears throat> yeah, bro. Well. Um... You know, I, I I moved, so I was in Atlanta. I was living in Atlanta when the Rob Thomas song came out. And uh, my girl at the time was living in Nashville. So I would be coming to Nashville to see her. I met her in Michigan. Her family moved to Nashville. So that's what started all that. I started coming to Nashville. And I was used to country music being like, oh, achy, breaky heart type music, right? Then I, I, I remember the song I heard. It's the Zach Brown band called whatever it is it's like whatever it is it blows me away that a time it's a, he, at the end he said well every time i try to tell her how i feel it comes out i love you she got whatever it is it's just a beautiful song you know i mean the guitars is beautiful it's like it's everything that that i would have heard in a in an old in a boys to men song <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. It was the same. And then I started realizing that when I was loving Boys to Men, I swear, I mean, all for one, I swear, that was a big country hit at the same at the same time. You know? And I could love you like that. I could make you my world, heaven and earth, if you were my girl. Same thing. Country song. It was an R&B song to me I was listening to. And then the country dude was doing it. So I'm like, all right, I got to try to write some of this music. You know, like this is a whole lane that, People, you know, there was nobody like me at all, like anywhere around Nashville. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. So um it's funny because I was I was doing that and going back and forth, but 
you know, when the Rob Thomas thing came out, they said, hey, man, we can get you more opportunities out here in L.A. So that's why I came to L.A. I met Casey. And Casey is the man. He's so cool, man. And uh, shoot, that's how I know Joe, too, you know. And uh, shout out Joe London, young player. And uh, <laughs> and he was like, man, I want to hook you up with this dude, Kevin Griffin. So I was like, cool. So I went over with Kevin's. We made one song. It was cool. And so like, let's, let's hook up again. So the second time we hooked up, you know, I ain't really never told... I ain't really told nobody really this. I'm going to tell you because, you know what I'm saying, you got you, it's my dog right here, man. Keep it real. But, like, he, we was trying to write, like, a pop song that yeah. day. It was, like, for a pop artist, you know. And the thing is, my MPC broke. And I used to go around with this big old MPC, man, you know. And uh, I just liked it. I was like, I was like, this is what I like, man. It's got the feel, you know. And so it, it, I had knocked it over before and we started beating on stuff like we used to do in a session before that. So I was like, well, my NPC's broke, but he started pulling up some drums in the computer. And I said, man, I don't like that. I don't like the feel. I said, just give me a guitar. So I get, got his guitar, just, just start layering tracks. Yeah. And he just, he just put my little thing on there so, so I could feel like this, just so I could write the song, you know? And... So then we wrote the song, and I'm in the booth just really just trying to do some pop stuff. There you go, make them on. You know, I'm just singing melodies, and Kevin's just putting simple lyrics in the computer. You know, just there you go, making my heartbeat. You know, it's just no one knows me better. And so I'm just trying to, you know, I'm learning all this about just so simple, you know, lyrics. And I'm like stuck on you. I told him, I think that's a little corny. I think it might just be corny enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we got it like, we got it like, you know, we got the structure. We got a lot of it done. And he was like, man, this would be great for Sugarland." And I was like, Sugarland, Like, you know who that, you know who that is? You can get that to Sugarland." He was like, yeah, because he was in the band better than Ezra. Yeah. His drummer from that band was playing for Sugarland now. And he was like, man, they need a single. And they want to write on it too, so we could just send it to them and let them write the bridge. And so I was like, sure, man. And... And I was like, I've really been trying to get into country music. So he sent it to them. They loved it. And that's it. Boom, boom, boom. It came out pretty fast. They finished it. You know, I didn't hear it until it was out. That same day it came out. You know, I learned that's how, that's how some of this stuff is going, too. But, uh, man, it was, it really tore through the, it really tore through the radio, man. And it was like something they hadn't heard before. Yeah, I think that's music. what, that's obviously what makes you know, your skill set's so valuable there. You know, shout out to Jennifer and Christian too. They're great people. You know, the fact that they're like, um, all the, the songs that I've had cut in Nashville were written in Los Angeles. And I've been in Nashville a lot. But when it comes down to it, it's like, it's, it's like if you do what you do in that world, you're better off than trying to write their song. They've got plenty of people in Nashville who can write a country song. They do not need Ross or Shy to show up and be like, hey, let me show you how to write a country song. They just want you to do Shy. And then they're like, oh, like they'll cut that record because it's exciting and it's different and it's not what, what they would write, you know? That's exactly what it is, bro. I, I always have just tried to go somewhere where I'm going to be different. And it's going to be exciting for the people and just fill a hole that's not being filled, you know. 
Well, you end up in this like you know you you have the Sugarland stuff, but then there's like a few years there where there's you know kind of not a lot coming out, and then then now then a lot you know kind of ebbs and flows. What happens yeah. between you know you have this huge song in country. You're doing some of these writings. You're obviously living half in Atlanta and Nashville and, well, some percentage in Atlanta and Nashville all over the place. And then you get a bunch of these songs like Billy Currington, some that, you know, do really well. But it's like this, there's like this space between, you know, I always want to know what happens in between the hits. Yeah. What happened between, like, what's happening those three years? Yeah, man. So I moved to L.A. and... I had really, I had really been pretty sick, man. My whole, my whole life, like I, I, you know, I always was dealing with my stomach was was messed up. Then the rest of my body was getting jacked up, and I was like, whenever I get some money, man, I'm, I'm gonna feel better. I know once I get some money, I'm gonna feel better. And it wasn't really true, but I tried, you know. <laughs> and when I started getting a little bit, a, a little bit, I thought I was gonna make way more money, and I didn't. And so I'm just going, getting massages, doing everything I can, like trying to figure out, like going, going into different, like holistic doctors, trying to figure out what's going on, why I'm feeling like, like this. But then also I spent the time on that. And also since I, since I was being noticed more, cause I had some little, some little songs out, uh, I was getting to more like record label executives. And then I was wa- walking around with my little mandolin and just singing them songs. Mm-hmm. And they're like, holy crap. So then they all try to start signing me. But I was like, man, you know, I was real funny with them and asking for astronomical stuff because I was like, I, I, I always been this guy and, and y'all didn't want to sign me before. So now you want to sign me and everything that I've ever wanted to do. Y'all tell me I can't do it. And then I watch some other artists come out and do it. So I was like, I don't trust y'all. I don't like y'all. Get away from me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, just away from the whole thing. And but I, but I, I entertained a lot of record deals, and uh, I ended up almost signing with L.A. Reid because he came over there to Epic, and I spent like eight months negotiating a deal with him, man. And then like the lawyer over there, he got upset because they found out I had two lawyers. That was because I was I was doing I was doing a lot, you know. And we were almost done with the deal, and they like they got mad, and they said, "If you don't sign it right now, like we're gonna pull the deal." I was like, "I'm not signing it right now until it's ready." And so that happened. And then I started a group. Well, the reason I started a group was I had my friends come out with me. I had my friends come out to LA. I was like, I'm in LA. Y'all come out here to try to make something happen. So they asked me to go do a session with uh, Soul Shock. I didn't want to do it. I said. I said, uh, if I could bring my friend, I'd do it. So, all right, cool. Because I'm trying to help him get some stuff going. So we went. We made this fly song on his track. He's like, yo, I know L.A. Reid. I'm like, all right, L.A. Reid, I already know I'm not doing no deal. But he kept pushing the issue. I said, check this out. Me and my friend would be a group. Y'all could sign the group and not me. So that way I could do a record deal, but I don't have to feel like I'm I'm, I'm about to be out of luck if, if, if y'all got handcuffs on me. My, my name is completely out of it. They said it couldn't be done, da da da. But I said, if I hear from the lawyer, that same lawyer, then I'll do it. So I did that. I was getting ready to do it. And then Neil Jacobson called me. Uh, you know, Neil, he was over there in the scope with Jimmy. And, and, and the thing is, he had already taken me to Jimmy, and, and Jimmy offered me a, a deal too. And I I I I turned it down with Interscope because I didn't want to uh I just didn't want to do it. You know, I, I just didn't want to do it. Um, 
because I, I didn't feel like they were. And Larry Jackson was there. He was there with Jimmy. And I was like, you don't remember me, dog? <laughs> he was ready to work. He's like, let's get it in, man. What's and they was like, you want to hook up with a producer like Rodney Jerkins or something? I was like, nah, somebody like David Foster or something. It's like, y'all ain't understanding what I'm really trying to do. And they're like, damn, you know. But it was real funny. I'll tell you something funny, man, that Neil was like, they said, make him an offer. So he said, why you want, I said, why you want me to make him an offer? Man, you want a Lamborghini? You want a helicopter, man? You just say what you, you know. What so he was kind of like saying wild stuff like that. And I don't know why he said that. So I was irritated at that. So I told the lawyer, put a helicopter in the contract. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, don't be playing with me like that. So I yeah. did that. Me and Jimmy had a good laugh. It was funny. He came back with like $75,000. I was like, don't worry <laughs> about it. I'm cool. I don't want to do it. That was fun. Yeah. And uh, so then I ended up going to L.A., you know, on that deal, almost did it. Then I didn't start the group. So now I'm getting ready to do the group deal with L.A. L.A. Reeves, like, put a girl in the group. So I went and got I went and got my homegirl, got in the group, Robin. And uh, so then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Neil calls me. You about to do a deal? I'm like, well, yeah, but this is the situation. I'm not signing myself. Well, I want to meet with y'all. So I met with him, played him the song. He liked the other song that we had better than the one I did with Soul Shark. I'm like, cool, because that's the one I produced with my friends. So he had us at Jimmy House like the next day. Like I had to go meet with Tricky and them on, on behalf of LA. They wanted to close the deal that day. I was like, look, man, I, I hate to tell y'all we're going to Jimmy House right after this. They was all mad. We the ones who da da da. I was like, y'all, I wouldn't even have told nobody I was doing a deal. Somehow y'all opened y'all mouth up and told somebody y'all was about to sign us. Then they called me. So that's that's on you, man. You the next time, keep your mouth closed. And, you know, it just won't happen. We can do the deal. So I went over there. Jimmy was like, you know, they was trying to put... The thing was, the, the, the track with Soul Shock was like a dance type of thing. Ours was a little bit more like funky, like, you know, a song called Bring It Back. It's the song I got out now. But, um, and this was way before a lot of stuff was sounding like that too. And... um so anyway, Jimmy was like, Jimmy and Neil were like, we got all these dance tracks. Like they had, they had a way better handle on that. And they were like, we can help you. We'll get you a big old mansion. Y'all sit up in there and make, make all these songs. And then we'll put all these dance tracks to it. And there was when dance music was popping like crazy too. And Black Eyed Peas was doing anything. And so we signed a group. It's called Cadillacs in Space. Spent a long time negotiating that deal because it was hard because I had to negotiate the deal and still keep my myself out of the deal. And I, I was able to do it, but it was really hard and frustrating. Then we got in the house and we made all these songs and we made all these pop songs. And he wasn't really wasn't really making no putting the dance tracks to it. I still was feeling a little weird. I'm smoking a lot of my good herb, trying to make make my body feel good. But I'm still just not. I'm still trying to get healthy and it's not just, it's just not working. I'm having way too much stress and stuff like that. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't really making the best music that I wanted to make, but, um, we, it was so creative and fly, bro. It was, it was, it was, it was amazing. So by the time we got done, like he took me to the urban department and I felt like that was not, I felt like that was whack. You know what I'm saying? Cause he asked us to make all this pop music. It was dance music. And then because we was all black, now we at the urban department and it was like, it was, you know, God bless the, God bless the brother. I'm sure he killing the game. Now it was like Jimmy's nephew running it. And I was like, it's not even a black dude running the urban department and y'all just bringing us in here. And I was like, I don't like this. I want to get off the label, man. You know what I'm saying? 
And I was like, I spent all this time. Nobody want me to, you know, work with other artists and do this and that. And that's why I wasn't having no hits with everybody else because I was focused on this thing the whole time. Then Jimmy ended up going to Apple anyway. John Janet came over there. I called him. I said, can I just get off of this thing? I don't, it's just frustrating to me, you know. And uh, so I just got off of there and just kept pushing. It's weird. There's In sports, there's you don't negotiate your deal during the season in sports. Like your contract is your contract. You only negotiate your contract on, in the offseason. That's mm-hmm. the deal. You show up to once you show up, you don't talk about your contract, or you you know you abstain from showing up to the beginning. But whatever, once your contract's done, you play through the season. Then you negotiate, renegotiate, get out of your deals, whatever it is. Maybe the most frustrating thing in the music industry is that there is no season, and because of what we do, there are so many different contracts going all the time that it's often creatively paralyzing. And like, if you're constantly negotiating this contract and that contract and this one, like, of course there are going to be issues because it's really emotionally draining. No matter how much you try to separate it, when when you're negotiating a contract, you know that's so true, bro. And I've really, I've really had to realize that with all of the pain and stuff I've had in my body after after having to like go through being having a relationship and actually getting divorced and all that. And that, that's when I started really going deep down and stop smoking and get real like clear and start doing therapy to start realizing all that stuff, even from, from childhood and building up, building up through all this music industry. Like that's what has been just like, you know, tearing my body up, man. It's your mind connected with your body. So I'm doing a lot better with all that. Now just trying to keep that stuff keep that stuff away from me because I was doing it all at that point. I didn't have no manager no more. I was just doing it, doing it on my own. Cause I just, you know, I didn't feel like they, they understood, like I understood what I wanted to do. Can you explain a little more on like the health stuff? One, how are you feeling now? And, you know, did, were there ever diagnoses that were helpful? Were there treatments that were helpful? How are you feeling? Yeah, man. Um, I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. And, um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't really exercising a lot because it, it would be like I was so into sports, but it got to the point where I, I sat in front of that computer so long trying to make these songs and my back was hurting. And when I started trying to run and my stomach hurting, I'm like, I'm like, you know. I'm throwing up if I'm trying to play the sports and stuff. So I'm like, man, I'm not. So instead, I just smoked my weed and I, I started stretching. I my, like like um, my girl. She had got me in the um, in this yoga study at, at, at UCLA, and then they did some yoga, and it was real simple movement. But I, I felt some of the pressure relief release release off of my stomach. So I was like, okay, like this, you know. I knew I was always tight like that and I'm still tight. And I'm still trying to, um, trying to loosen that up. But I noticed when I smoked my weed and I did some, some stretching type stuff, it was amazing. So I just did that so much. I, I did that so much. Uh, and, and it helped me, but it wasn't until I was able to do that without the weed and, and by, by actually talking, I, I, 
it's crazy because I was never trying to be about therapy. Me and my brothers, we like, man, we got our brothers. We're not going to talk to no, you know, I'm not going to waste my money. I didn't have money to be wasting like that anyway. But I started really, I'm doing like somatic therapy, which is based on the body and, and, and the trauma that even generational trauma that could be in there. So much stuff like that. So that's the type of stuff that helped, man. Just exercise and doing yoga type stuff, you know, and, and, and keeping my mind clear, meditating, um, yeah, and, and, and getting getting down to the to the real issues instead of putting a bandaid over on, on it, man. And it's hard it's hard to actually go through it, but it feel way better when you start to understand what's really going on. One of the other questions I have is, you know, when um, and this is one I'm I'm happy you're feeling better, and I, I know like this it's a journey. It, health is a journey, and and somebody said to me the other day, it's like you know when you're healthy. Uh, you want all these things. You want money, you want success, you want a car, you want a house, you want material things, you want all kinds of things. When you're sick, you want one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, I, you know, I applaud you for for going through that journey. I know that that's, that's a, a, a heavy burden to, that you're, 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 dealt, you're dealt, you're not necessarily, you don't choose to be sick. So, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I applaud you for get, getting through that. Um, and it's, you know, one of the other things you said that I think is, you know, what was hindering some of your pop stuff is that even after you do a deal that they still, the, still the introduction is to put you with like, oh, well, we'll bring him to the urban department, mm-hmm. you know, and, and whenever we've talked to, you know, my you know, people on the podcast that are are black but pop writers and not, you know, R and B writers is that they they keep getting put into sessions that they're like, this isn't really what I do, mm-hmm. you know. In your case, it's kind of unique because you really do everything. So like, you mm-hmm. could put you in every room, but you as an artist is pretty specific. Like you're saying, no, I want David Foster, like, yeah. you, you know, and then you know he. I don't want to skip too far ahead, but like you end up with a, obviously like one call away becomes really big. You know, you do a bunch of these songs with, you know, you you have you have a lot of the pop stuff that's uh, multiracial. You know, you're writing for men, for women. You know, it doesn't really seem to. You know, that never really affects you. But my question is like, of all the places that I would think would pigeonhole someone. Nashville seems to be a place that's really accepted more who you are. Is that a, the wrong take? Or is it a place that seems to be encouraging for your career? Yeah, man, it's 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 kind of confusing to me, honestly, man. I I I can't, I can't uh there there's so much about this, I tell you about the songwriting community here really accepted me a lot. You know, um, they were all they were always inviting, happy to see me come. And I really didn't have I really didn't have too many, too many issues with that um, because I was putting flavors on songs for these white American country artists that when they get the flavors on there, 
that's what make them sound cool or they like it, you know? But if I do it, or if a black person does it and puts those same flavors, then you're going to say that it's not country music. But it's the same thing that I'm doing for them every time. That's the whole formula. The whole formula is take what you've been doing and add this sauce to it because you want the sauce. And that's what, what you know, because every when all this George Floyd stuff happened, God bless him and everything, like I started getting all these interviews about what's it like being in Nashville, being black, country music, all my guys, this and that. And I, and I told him, look, man, it's America. I dealt with the same stuff in L.A., you know, it's it's yeah. it's always the same thing. It's 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 we want that we want your flavor, but we don't want the whole thing. You know, if you give us the whole thing, you you got to take you to the urban department. But this white artist that you give those same flavors to, we're not taking to the urban department. We don't have to start the record over there. This is a pop song, you know. And so now all of our music is becoming pop music because you know these these people are deeming it popular and they're able to do it. So then it's like, it really has bothered me my whole life to see the destruction in the urban community and the, how bad the ghettos still are and how all of that. And that's where the creative juices are coming from. That's where all this greatness is being birthed out of is the struggle. And then when you bring it to them, it's like, oh, just just give me that and let me just water it down and go, that's cool. And it always becomes this little trend. Now here it now it's the twerk trend. I was like, twerk, it was like, well, we've been twerking, talking about this for so long. Now it's the now it's the talking like this trend. Like we've been talking like that for so long. We've been using this word for so long. Now we got to come up with a new word. Cause because now you know, and and so it, that's just a constant struggle. That's just a constant struggle. I do feel pigeonholed. Uh here in Nashville to be everything I want to be because, but but that's just been in all genres. I just wish genres would just go away and everybody could just, you know, make whatever they want. Like for me as an artist, it's always been kind of a, kind of a, a issue. As far as a writer, I can just kind of like fit in where I get in. It's like, I'm trying to get some money, man. I'm trying to support my family. And you know, me as an artist is a little bit more difficult because I try to fit it in for them a little bit, but it's like, it's a, it's a slippery slope, you know. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I think that the issue with the the perk of streaming is that there really aren't genres like there used to be. The, the tough part of country music is that the genre really matters. You know, is that yeah. they really like the 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 radio, the people control radio. You know, 
they want country music. I mean, one of the, like, you know, after George Floyd, I'm in every, in every industry, people have at least talked about, I, I talked about some things that were really difficult to talk about and some truths needed to come out. And like, it, you know, it's nice to see that, like, we only listen to country radio in our car. It's all we mm. listen to. You know, uh-huh. my wife loves country. That's what we listen to. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, it's the 105.1 thing. That's what we listen to. And it's like, there's, there are black artists on country radio right now. Yeah. Maybe for the first time in our lives. I mean, like, yeah, you have like, you know, the, the Charlie Prides and like, you know, legends and, and, you know, Darius Rucker and some of these people along the way. And obviously like you worked with Kane Brown on your, you know, as a, as a writer, but like, you know, seeing, you know, it's nice to see Mickey and Jimmy Allen and some of these people like starting to get on, like not just getting on radio, but having hits on radio. And it seems, <clears throat> it seems like that genre is changing. I mean, we, we did an interview that hasn't come out yet, but like, you know, talking about like Lil Nas X and like that's a that was a country smash and that was like had that happened had that happened after George Floyd that song wouldn't be stripped off of country billboard you know what I mean but it happened before and I think people were afraid like people were calling it out but not calling it out loud enough Mm -hmm. and now people are a little louder so I I I hope that that it's like that we are moving into an era where people can accept all of you within a genre. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think like it's it's still a game that has to be played, you know, by 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 an artist of color that's that's singing country music. Like they still have to be within those boundaries, you know, to to whereas like is it like what you sing about or is it musicality? Like, what do you think is are the things that are most? Um, I mean, like, controlled? I mean, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that a Walker Hayes Apple Applebee song, I don't think that could be done by a black country artist mm. because it's got too much influence of from that culture, you know. So then, if it's a black artist doing it, they'll say that's not country, you know. But if it's somebody like that, then they'll say, "Okay, we love it. It's it's amazing." Like like so, so I, I think that's that's like the the subtle underlying thing, you know. And the thing about the little Nas, obviously he was just kind of playing around with it. He's not like really yeah. a country artist or whatever. That's cool. Right. And he's he's amazing. But like they did as 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 big and huge as that song was, they did not play it on country radio. Country radio didn't it didn't hardly even chart. I don't think which definitely wasn't in the top twenty or anything like top thirty probably anything. But um, but, but if yeah, that was be- a white if that was a white artist, I mean I mean in a sense that like like BB Rexa had a number one song at at country radio. Not that that has anything to do with color, but it has to do with the idea that you know they're willing to listen to, they're willing to accept pop artists and put them at country radio in the right with the right song. And so, you know, why was that not pop? And why was the little Nas X one pop? Right. I guess. Right, I man. Know. I mean, 
uh, it, it's like that. But but to your point, man, I, it's definitely changing. It's definitely changing a lot. Um, and all the stuff that's happened that has been caught on camera, all of these police things and all that, it's, it's, it's really uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes, all these protests and stuff. So, you know, me being down here, you know, I can really, I can really tell you that like, there is a lot of change and it's because of the other, I I think it's because of the other parts of America, like LA or New York or places like that, that make it, that's, 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 you know, that's like looking down on people being like that. You can't be like that. Mm -hmm. But in the South and in the, and in the Midwest and some of these places, man, these dudes and these people are mad. Bro, they're mad about the infiltration, just like they've been mad about, you know, Mexicans coming over. They're mad at, you know, anybody taking what's what's theirs. And country music was started by really slaves in the field, you know, and the banjo is actually an African instrument. And, and so it's it's actually it's actually everybody's, you know. And it's not like we're just not coming over here, but we are. We just been we just been kept out for so long, been kept out. So I'm I'm just being like, nah, man. Hey, I talk like this, I dress like this, I am like this, but I lived in the country. You can go ask and see wherever. And there's so many people who haven't even, you know, really lived that country life. It's just that that they just think I'm gonna do some country music or whatever. But man, it it's a it's also about the words that I hear people say down here. Man. You know how many times I've been in a room, I've been around and hear somebody use the N word, man. Like, really? Yeah, around around here in Nashville and out at these other shows. I'm talking about country artists, stars. I'm talking about uh, songwriters. I'm talking about people that would say things uh, about some of the other black artists, and 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 the only reason why they're 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 being, you know, accepted is because of this and that. And I would hear it like, like I'm sitting yeah. here and I'm hearing them talk right behind me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And sometimes it'd be said directly to me. I have to have a conversation and be like, look, man. And so I, it's been, it's been brutal, dog. I, I know nobody's going to talk to you like this and tell you this, but it's been brutal. Like I, I've had, to, I've had to have therapy about that. Like, man, I can't, I, I don't even know how long I can stay down here, but I feel like I'm on a mission and, you know, but you've put in so much. You've put in such obviously quality work within the genre as a writer, and that is a genre that that looks to the writing community to lead its, you know, its future. And I feel like there are so many people rooting for you, you know. And look, man, you got you have you're still you're signed to a major label in Nashville, you know, yeah. and. um you know, it's. It feels like, I know you're you're you have something to prove, but it's something to prove for like all of us. Like we're yeah. we we are supporting you more than the, all those people who don't get it. Like they don't get it anyway. They those yeah. guys, those guys are talking shit anyway. Like they're talking shit about everybody. Yeah, like they're they're looking at well that guy's only here because he's black. They're also going like that girl's only here because she's. A girl, and mm. you know they're out on the road cheating on their spouse and doing whatever they're doing. Like, like they've got all kinds of loyalty issues. You're like <laughs> you're 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 leading the way in a different 
you know, it is it is really hard, and it's unfortunate that it is that it, it that it's particularly difficult, especially for somebody who has like your discography. You know, yeah. like people should be like all the doors should be swinging open, but they will swing open. Like they people are rooting for you, man. They are. Thank you. Thank you, my like, dog. For, for any that. any one of those people that that you hear that talk shit, there's, I mean, what's that? Uh, you know, like we we all focus on the negative, the negative yeah. one, the one negative voice. Obviously, there are more than one negative voice, but like there are so many people that, you know, there's a reason why you're featured on on half these records. There's a reason why a lot of them featured on your record. Yeah. You know, yeah, for but. sure, man. It's 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 a big blessing, bro. I just, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep it keep it a hundred when I can to let people know that it's not all peachy because I know a lot of people ain't gonna say it. Um, and I don't I don't say everything when I'm in whatever <laughs> magazine or something. I, I tell yeah. them I tell them the real, but I don't say everything. But I just want you, you know, I, I just want you to know and all the people, because you've been doing, I love, I love your podcast. I love everything y'all been doing, man. So I just want to come in and just, and just give you the real deal. Dude, how we it need, is, we need that. The, the only way people change as an industry is if people are willing to say it how it is. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's still a primarily like, it's still a, a sexist, racist, you know, it's not just our industry, but it also includes our industry. You know, like we definitely need like we need people to say how it is so that way you you know that so that way there are appropriate allies so people yeah. can help. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's 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 every industry for sure. It's it's an American issue, just like this whole Supreme Court thing with the women and stuff, you know? Yeah. It's like it's it's some things that's going backwards. And we gotta, you know, we gotta we gotta make sure that we we stand up for 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 progress and supporting and loving everybody just how they are, man. That's how we're gonna win. What are um what are things and I I'm gonna go to the, the last segment in a minute, but what are things that you think the like if you were to say if you would have one sort of like overall thing to say to the the pop and country community about your experience, like how would you sum that up? Man, I I, I would just really sum it up as um, as a um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a it's a systematic thing, right? So. There's so much education that has to go into what has happened in this country. And the only way for people to get an understanding is to go and do a deep dive and get real education on laws that have been passed and just the way things started all the way up until now. And you'll see the common thread of what it's like to be slaves and descendants of slaves in a country that wasn't made for you, you know? And so I don't put that on nobody that's here right now other than it's just ingrained. It's ingrained in society so people aren't understanding. That's the first thing is that when somebody goes to talk about it, they say, well, wait a minute, there's the black president. Wait a minute, there's this a, a black country. So they don't understand, but there's it's just it's so heartbreaking when you see the struggle of 
people doing way worse than me. You know, my 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 thing is like, you know, what's really going on in this in this country still has to uh, still has to change in a lot of ways. You know, um, as far as and I think the younger generation is is getting is getting a hold of that. You know, they're like, man, everybody everybody's good, everybody's everybody's equal. We love everybody. But when you but when you discriminate against somebody, a group of people, women, uh, you know, blacks, whoever, for so long, it's like my brother told me one time, it's like starting a monopoly game and getting all the hotels and getting all of this and that and say, you go to jail. And then finally you let them out of jail, but you got all the property, you got everything already. And you say, okay, but now it's equal, you know? So that's cool to say it's equal, but it's actually some things that, people are still a, 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 a far way behind. So you can't just expect them. Thank you. You can't just expect them to be able to do the same things that other people are able to do. It's, 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 it's tough. So that's all, you know, I have to say it, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all real talk and, it, and it's, you know, um, I've had conversations with old white guys cause there are a lot of them. And, uh, and it's a, one of those things where it's like, would you, you know, you kind of hit the lottery if you're an old white guy, you know, that you start, like, how do you not see that you were, you didn't start on second base or third yeah. base? How do you not see that? Even if you have, even if everyone's broke and equally broke, it's still not equal. Yeah. It's still just not. And it's hard to explain that. And, you know, I, I know like it is an education process. And so I, I, I think it's important for people to listen and, you know, so I appreciate the candid. Yeah. That's beautiful that you that's beautiful that you understand that, bro. And I appreciate that a lot, man. Well let's go let's go uh real quick. Or I mean just do a five for five. I'm gonna list five things. Just tell me what comes off the top of your head and then we'll finish up. Um all, all right. right, let's go with the first one, Nelly. Do I just say five things? I'm gonna just no, you can say one thing. I'm gonna just name five people or five things and then just tell me what comes off the top of your head. So let's start with Nelly. Uh groundbreaking. Really is the best. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with Charlie Puth. A genius. Um uh Courtney B. Um a hustler, and I'm so grateful for him, man. He made it made it happen. Uh, let's go with Warner Nashville. So supportive and wonderful. And my best ever experience with a record label or anybody or any executive people in the music business. I love them. They really are great. That's a, that's a really good record label and a, and a good publishing company out of Nashville. Um, shout out Warner. Um, and finally your dad. Um, Uh, you know, he sacrificed, he sacrificed so we could be here, you know, doing this. And, um, and, and he gave me, and he gave me music. So I, I, I'm super grateful for him for, for playing all those good songs in the house. And my mom played a lot of good songs too. She just didn't play them. Or she just pushed play all of them. Like Van Morrison, <laughs> Tracy Chapman, and stuff that got yeah. me in the country too. Um, so yeah, man, uh, I'm very grateful for my parents. They've been supportive and loving all the time, man. Well, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, I, you know, 
every time I see you, I get really excited because I know, like, you know, when we first met, like, I was, I knew Will Hogue was opening for Sugarland. And I know the guy who plays pedal steel for him. So, like, he, he got us tickets and my wife loved country music. And she was, I was like, oh, I bet I can get her country. Like, I can get her some tickets to a country concert. Wow. You know? And, and I didn't really know anything about country music. I was, I was only a couple years into really writing. I was doing a lot of Dre and Vidal sessions, like, more like, you know, R&B kind of stuff that's what I was in the studio doing so like I wasn't really into country and I wow. went to the I went to the country concert and and my wife comes over and she she goes and she buys two country hats and it was her like test to see if like like will I wear a cowboy hat <laughs> then she like when she gives it to me and I'm all like I'm like I'm an uber dork so I'm just like hell yeah put it on <laughs> <laughs> so like here I am wearing that and I just remember like you know, to me, it was this opening of a world where I was like, oh, man, if I can infiltrate this world a little bit, like if I can impress this this woman who I now have a, you know, a child with, mm. um, you know, later my first number one song was country and all that stuff. So, like, I was, like, really excited to have, like, to be, to know some people. And I don't remember if we had met before maybe at something or if I just met you there. But it was a small, like one of those backstage things at the Greek, and yeah. and it's those things where it's like you're like listening to that song that reminds me of one of the best days of my life. Dang, bro, you know? that's incredible, dude. So I like, w- you know, we don't hang out enough, but I, it means a lot. Like to, w- I love love watching and cheering from for you, even if we don't talk all the time. So yeah. I know it's been a hard journey, um, but your talent is one of a kind, and you're gonna do, you're gonna do all the things that you want to do. And I love that you're in a good situation right now because you've yeah. earned a good situation um, across the board. You know, like personal life, career wise, and I, I, I just wanted you to know that that's how I feel about you. Man, thank you, my dog. Man, I, I, I got. All the love for you, dog. I'm so proud of all the shit you done did, man. You done killed the game, bro. And this podcast is amazing. I appreciate y'all getting me on here, dude. I want to hook up with you soon. Yeah, man. Of course. There you go. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.